Have you guys seen Fight Club? I mean, you probably have, right? I mean, if you haven't, you've heard about it. Did you know that when it first came out, it actually wasn't a huge hit at the box office? But the people that loved it really loved it. It was a favorite of cinephiles, dude bros, Brad Pitt enthusiasts, and pretty much everybody in between. And as a result, it became one of the most popular movies to come out of the 90s. An instant cult classic. Ranked choice voting is the fight club of electoral reforms. Why, you ask? Well, first and foremost, it kicks ass. Secondly, it has support from groups that don't really agree on much. Um, Republicans, Democrats, suburban housewives, honestly, probably cinephiles and dude bros. At this point, it is not hugely popular, but just like Fight Club, the people that love it really love it. Right now, only Alaska and Maine use ranked choice voting for statewide elections. And if you put their populations together, it's roughly 2 million people, which isn't a huge audience. Ranked choice voting is like that indie band that you liked before it was cool. It's a cult classic, but ranked choice voting is about to go mainstream. If this is the first time that you've heard about ranked choice voting, let me break it down for you really quickly. In a normal election, you pick one candidate, right? In a ranked choice election, instead of picking one candidate, you pick multiple and you just rank them in order of your preference. Who's your first pick, second pick, so on and so forth. Which brings us to what's going on right now. New York City needed a new mayor. And since New York City is the bluest city in the bluest state, the odds of the mayor being a Republican are really, really small. So the Democratic primary is actually the main event, and the Democratic primary decided to go ranked choice. So, the way I see it, it's time to talk about ranked choice voting, and there is nobody that I would rather talk about it with than my sweet friends Erica Schauer and Wes Dodge from Rank the Vote Nebraska. Erica teaches at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and Wes is a former civics teacher and lawyer, and together, and together, they are passionate advocates for democracy and ranked choice voting. They are also two of the most patient podcast guests you could imagine. While working on this episode, we suffered every technical difficulty under the sun, and they stuck with me. And boy, did they have to stick with me through a lot. It was really embarrassing, and it was a dark day as a millennial that prides herself on being good with technology. But we fought through it. So, without any further ado, here is Erica and Wes. Oh, and as always, my name is Hilary Lombard, and this is Moderate Party. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. I'm actually, uh, you guys are the second guests, well, second and third guests that I've had on from Nebraska, so we're on a little bit of a hot streak with the Midwest, but I think that makes sense since a lot of the people that I've met from the Midwest are pretty moderate. You know, it's funny you said that, Hillary, because I was just thinking earlier about how in the Midwest, most of the people on the left that I know, like the way to be on the left is to be highly progressive when you're in kind of a deep red state. It, and I don't know if that's a new phenomenon or maybe just my age group of people that I know, but most people who are anywhere left of center are heavily progressive. Really? Mm-hmm. And what about the Republicans? The moderate Republicans tend to shut up. They just kind of sit back and let it flow over them. Uh, you'll talk to them and you can pick up on some of their uh, their political philosophies just in conversation, but they're not going to jump out there because honestly, they're they're in a bit of a quandary now too. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunately for good Republicans now, people make the association with Trump, et cetera, you know, some more radical mm -hmm. thinking. And I feel bad for people that are good, solid, kind of moral Republicans. There's, yeah, just... Traditional mm -hmm. conservatives, yeah. they get called rhinos and then, you know, people more towards the middle um, who are left of center get called establishment, Democrat, corporate shill, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things. Or Joe Manchin. Or Joe Manchin. <laughs> they just get called Joe Manchin, <laughs> yeah. which is essentially a progressive swear word at this yeah. point. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't know Joe Manchin, he's a senator from West Virginia that's really been a pan in the ass for a lot of progressive Democrats because... He's notoriously moderate and he's refused to go along with some of the more progressive pieces of legislation, um, like the For the People Act, among others. And uh, 
he's he's kind of holding things up in the spirit of bipartisanship, but he's delivered on infrastructure and he's going to come through for voting rights potentially. So see, and nobody in my circle has any faith in Joe Manchin, but I'm like, I don't know. They kind of, I feel like if Joe pulls this off, then he kind of just cut everybody's like flailing about off at the knees and said, no, let's really get down to it. What is it you want? What is it we want? They're mostly the same thing. And if you really want X, then Y should be sufficient. Like he's the whole, what he's doing with voter ID and making it more universal. I'm like, you can't, you can't say that you're against all of these voting laws because they don't have voter ID. If we give you voter ID, now you have to come up (laughs) with something else like that. Rubber's meeting the road here, folks. <laughs> and I think what he understands, too, is that there's a point where you have to prioritize what issues are your issues. Mm-hmm. Like if climate change, if that's the one that is your top priority, then you're going to need to compromise on the immigration mm-hmm. or you're going to need to compromise on this, compromise on that. And I think that that's something that we've lost a lot mm-hmm. in Congress because mm-hmm. it's like we're going to care about everything as much as we can. No compromise in every issue. And it only leads to gridlock. I think. Ranked choice voting seems to be the only reform that I have heard Republicans and Democrats be excited about. Mm-hmm. Why do you guys think that is? Well, I think because for me anyway, Republicans and Democrats, when we're talking about the voters, share the same frustrations. They're pretty much cross-partisan frustrations that everybody seems to have with the electoral process and primarily the incentive structure that politicians work through. Everybody's sick of gridlock. Pretty much everybody's sick of hating everybody else. <laughs> everybody's sick of being hated by everybody else. I think that ranked choice voting is is probably something that a lot of people can recognize as valuable for working through things that, that we all kind of just are sick and tired of. I, I would add that I think Republicans are into competition and open markets and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the cream will rise to the top type of philosophy. And with ranked choice voting, uh, you can kind of say, hey, it's an open process. Everybody can compete and whoever is best should win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the I think Republicans that aren't the greatest Republicans don't want that because they feel like the deck is stacked a little bit right now in their various locales. But uh, a, a Republican that can step back and look at it from 10,000 feet realizes that uh, the best ideas and the best competitor, the best candidate should win if you use a ranked choice voting system. Mm-hmm. Do you think that ranked choice voting makes elections more competitive? Is that what you're saying? I, I think the data does show that it does. If it depends on how you define more competitive. I mean, we bring more people to the battle. And to me, that would be a definition of more competitive. So uh, much like it's been proven that it brings more minorities, it brings more women, uh, that that opens the field up to everyone. So I think that makes it more competitive. And that would be something you could sell to a Republican. Uh, And honestly, uh, to my mind, I would like to see more Republican women Uh, rise to the top, because I think if that happens, a lot of good things will happen because uh, it kind of negates some of the uh, attacks that males try to throw out there back and forth when you get get a woman rising to the top of some Republican position. Nebraska's had a couple female Mm -hmm. uh, governors and um, they did they did pretty good. Well, I guess we just had one and I'm rewriting history. I, I one we had one and one that I wish was our governor and didn't get there. But and the one we had was a Republican. Well, kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying, Wes, there are a lot of conservative ideals that I think are really well highlighted in ranked choice voting. The free exchange of ideas or the free marketplace of ideas. One of the things that ranked choice voting does is it it doesn't just invite one flavor of the Republican Party or one flavor of the Democratic Party. It invites all it invites the whole spectrum and it really allows both the candidates to to speak to what values they hold and what policies they approve of, but it also allows voters to more thoroughly express what it is that they're for. As it is, you know, right now, 
we tend to have Democrats that play to the left in a primary and play to the middle in a general. And you tend to have Republicans who play to the right in a primary and play to the middle in a general. But that ends up, you know, with having two kind of extreme candidates from the one of two parties uh, in a general election, which leaves off a lot of the electorate where they're not really their views aren't necessarily being represented. What impact do you think that ranked choice voting has on polarization? Um, so like Wes was saying, you, you don't have an incentive to attack you know, people you're running against anymore because you don't want to look like an asshole to the people who are going to vote for that guy or mm-hmm. gal. Um, you don't necessarily want to trash someone else's ideas. I mean, you can disagree, but you don't want to say that the people who th- believe in idea X as opposed to your proposal of idea Y are total idiots who hate America because they're never going to rank you second. And you need that number two. You need that number two. So your incentive is no longer there. And it's instead replaced with a different incentive of treating people with respect, of you know presenting ideas and not just personality clashes. And if you're seen as, you know, participating in the rage economy, that's not going to win you elections. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, it just, to me, yes, you can hate the players and you can hate the game, right? That tends to be, most people don't like politicians because politicians play a game called politics, right? But if we don't ever change the way that politics are played, then sorry, but politicians are going to have to do what they have to do to get elected to hopefully implement some kind of policy that they stand for. Um, But there's going to be a lot of, you know, dirt kicking along the way. And if we change the way that they get there, boy, wouldn't that be fancy? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, people all over the country already do it. People in Australia, New Zealand, I think New Zealand, at least Australia, but they've been doing RCV in Ireland forever. And there's a fantastic podcast episode where they were um, covering an RCV election in Ireland. And they talked about how people will like all go out to the pubs and kind of treat it like March Madness. They'll like make this whole event of watching election results come in and like mm-hmm. seeing who's getting knocked off first. And, you know, is my candidate still in the running? And yeah, they're, you know, yeah, that was my <laughs> second mate, you know, like just getting really excited about it where we're all sitting here on pins and needles because we've been told if that person wins, America is over and you're not going to have a country anymore. That's a fucking problem. That that's a that's a that's a pretty flaming red flag if, you know, I don't want to say half the country because that just is mathematically not true. You know, there's however many percent who are Republicans, how many percent are Democrats and of those, you know, who actually supported this candidate. But if you have enough people who are that angry about the result of an election because they feel like they didn't have any voice in it, that's that's a problem. Well, it's not just that America's over, but it's like if this candidate's elected your life personally, Mm -hmm. as you know it, like your identity, you personally, you're Mm -hmm. over, you're done. Yeah, because they hate you. Yeah, exactly. They hate you, you hate them. So if they win, then your way of life is all the way over. And that's just, I'm sorry, but that's just no way to look at, at your neighbor, at your coworker, students. And and by the way, that episode, at least the one I listened to was a radio lab episode. uh, Yes. January 8th of this year. I think you raised a really good point about the juxtaposition between the opportunity to get excited to vote and the fear and dread that come with voting, because often it's both. And I think that that's compounded by this dread that your vote may not matter Especially in a primary. I know at least in the state of California, we vote really early. And when I was out canvassing um, during the Republican and Democratic primary, what I heard from a lot of people is that the person they voted for since they voted early had already dropped out and they were concerned that their vote wouldn't count. So if I'm understanding you correctly, ranked choice voting would actually help prevent that. 
Because if your first choice candidate dropped out, then your vote would just be transferred to the person that you had ranked second, right? That's exactly right, yes. Mm -hmm. And we had a pretty similar situation here in Nebraska where our Democratic candidate, was it for U.S. Senator, Wes? Yes, it was, Senate. Who had a kind of late-blooming scandal. And so the entire Democratic coalition was kind of saying, well, what do we do? Do we do a write-in? Like there, it was too late for them to run a different candidate. This guy mm-hmm. wasn't dropping out come hell or high water. And so, you know, a lot of people wrote in an, another candidate. A lot of people still voted for the guy. But that type of late-blooming issue wouldn't have been an issue if people had been able to let's say they wanted to rank him first, someone else second. Well, if, you know, or vice versa, it, it wouldn't have been as disastrous as it ended up being. Okay. So let's zoom out for just a quick second for the listeners that we have that are not familiar with ranked choice voting. Can you guys give me a rundown of what it is and how it works? Uh, what you do is all your candidates are listed on the ballot. And then to the right of the ballot typically is a series of columns that have one through whatever. Usually it's one through five, but it can go as long as the number of candidates. And then you simply fill in the dot in the column next to the name that puts the person in that position. So if you want to, you know, Johnson is your first choice, yes, you fill in the the dot in the one column. And if you want uh, Jameson is your second. You fill in the dot in the two column as far as you want or as little as you want. If When people argue they don't like ranked choice, I'd always say fill in one dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you haven't done it. And then um, to give the full description, then what happens is as the votes come in, uh, the person with the least amount of votes is eliminated and all of their second choices are elevated into the process. Uh, if somebody gets 50% plus one, then they win. If they don't mm-hmm. at that point, then you go to the, uh, the next person on the bottom after those others are eliminated and you reallocate those votes and you keep doing that until someone has 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's, essentially, if, you're, if your first choice finishes last, mm-hmm. then your vote is transferred up to your second choice as people get eliminated. So your vote still stays in the count, essentially. So um, there are a lot of people in Rank the Vote Nebraska who are would-be third-party candidates, uh, not candidates, mm. sorry, would-be third-party voters. And some of them have voted third-party and felt ostracized by their friends for doing so. It's brutal. I know it's impolite. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of them said they would have preferred to vote third party, but didn't feel that it was safe for them to do so for, you know, things like authoritarian takeovers of the country and the such, um, and decided uh, to go ahead and fill in the bubble for whomever. Um, mm-hmm. But with ranked choice voting, third party voters can absolutely vote third party. And to me, I'm not necessarily a third party voter or I haven't yet found a candidate that would make me want to vote third party automatically. Um, But I do feel like there is an argument that goes on between people who support third party candidates and people who support one of the two, you know, main establishment parties. There's that word establishment. It's so scary. Um, Yeah. With air quotes around it. Um, But there's an argument that says, Well, more people would vote third party if they weren't so afraid of, you know, lesser of two evils voting. And I Mm -hmm. don't think that that argument can ever be resolved. I don't I don't think we can ever discover if, you know, Green Party candidates would actually get enough votes to beat, say, a Democratic candidate or libertarian candidates would get enough votes to beat a Republican candidate, that argument can never be resolved if we don't have something like ranked choice voting because that voter fear of the person we really don't want to win winning, that's not gonna go away until we have a system that lets people actually say, this is what I really want out of a candidate and this is what I really want my vote to say. Another thing that I really like about RCV is that we get a better picture of what the electorate actually wants. We can actually see in real time, well, who preferred, how many many people out of this set of voters really did prefer Jill Stein? 
like those numbers might mm. be totally different. There might be way more people that preferred Jill Stein to Hillary Clinton in 2016. Or we could learn actually, no, there aren't that many people who preferred Jill Stein to Hillary Clinton. We just don't know. We don't ha have a way to access that data. And if I may, I think probably to me, the most important thing is when you're done, the person that's representing us is has been voted on by over 50% of the people. Mm -hmm. So you don't have 70% of the people thinking, wow, I didn't vote for that person or 20, mm -hmm. you know, 75% of the people thinking I didn't vote for that person. And uh, there's more accountability, I think, to the to the electorate as a whole, uh, where now uh, your accountability is only to your base. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. you have a, a national market and, and I you know, we're in Nebraska, but lately, for some reason, our governor is just jumping all over the hardcore Republican talking points. You know, he's attacking mm -hmm. critical race theory, um, you know, a couple other things. Coming up with S meat, sending, meat passports. <laughs> sending state troopers down to the, the border, you know, uh, the Nebraska state troopers to the border and things like that. And uh, I'm pretty sure that He's doing that to play to his base because he has aspirations, it's assumed, to try mm -hmm. to get into another position to, you know, get maybe a, a Senate position or it's even uh, being alluded to that he may run for president. That's why he's doing that. And mm -hmm. with ranked choice Can voting, you don't you? do that as much. What's it? Uh, for my listeners that don't know, the governor of Nebraska's name is Governor Ricketts. And he basically just answers the question, what if Lex Luthor was done? Yes. So he's just, he's a really, he's, he's a bad guy. But TV, a fun time Ameritrade money. Uh, his dad started that business. They got rich. They own the Cubs. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they own the Cubs? Yeah, they own the Cubs. Oh. Yeah. And Guys, I love the Cubs. <laughs> Sorry. Wah, wah. Oh, that's a toughie. And... Um, and if you if you get into the dark money things, their money is in all kinds of dark money, at least around here, around the Midwest, and I would guess nationally as well. Lex Luthor, <laughs> but dumb. I'm telling you, you guys. Hey Mod Pod listeners, I just want to cut in here for a quick plug. Erica and Wes are great. They're knowledgeable, they're funny, and they're championing democracy through their podcast, The Good Life, If You Can Keep It. I'm a proud listener, and I think that you should be too. But you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to Erica give you a quick rundown of what their podcast is all about. Welcome to The Good Life, If You Can Keep It, the cross-partisan podcast where democracy goes to do its push-ups. John Lewis said, democracy is not a state, it is an act. On our podcast, we hope to broaden your knowledge of democracy and explore ways we can all act to improve on the promise our country holds. My name is Erica. And I'm Wes Dodge. Look for us periodically throughout the month, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to our show. Wes, I agree with you that if, if we don't have somebody who's representing at least 50% of their constituents, then they don't really have an incentive to try to legislate in a way that satisfies the needs of any more than just their base. So if we look at the actual math, <laughs> um, our current governor, Pete Ricketts, also um, lovingly called Prickets by some in our state, was elected in 2014. In his primary, he got 26.48% of the Republican vote. The next guy up, John Bruning, got 25.48. So he had 1.01% more votes out of the Republican Party. So that means 
around 75% of Republican voters did not vote for Pete Ricketts. That's not saying anything about the independent voters in our state or the Democratic voters in our state. So Pete Ricketts got elected on 25% vote of his own party, which I think would translate into what, like 10 or 15% of the entire electorate in our state. And he's supposed to be representative of Nebraska. I'm sorry, but that has a, a large effect on how all Americans see each other. You see, you see it on the internet all the time, people talking about red states. Well, Lincoln mm -hmm. is not a red state. Omaha is not a red state. Hell, Texas is not a red state. <laughs> They're practically blue if they, you know, had their... At least purple. It's at the most... And one of my favorite maps is just America in purple. It has different shades of purple mm -hmm. for all the different states. But, you know, representative government isn't representative when it's only representing 15% of, <laughs> of an electorate. And that's just the electorate, not to mention all the people who didn't vote. So, Well, and I think it, I mean, if you're thinking that you end up with a governor that only was the number one choice for like 10 to 15%, as you said, that's just a kick in the teeth for how much you think your voice and your vote matter. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, I, I hear that a lot from people. And even like when you go door to door and you canvass, the people that are not going to vote or are not excited about voting, it's because they don't think it matters. Uh -huh. And it, I mean, I don't think that that is, it's a frustrating answer, but I don't think that it is like ridiculous one. Mm -hmm. If you, if you think about all the times that you end up with somebody that genuinely doesn't represent mm -hmm. you. Well, and I, I had, I heard a lot of that in the last election where people were saying, well, we all know that Nebraska is going to, be read. Why should we bother going to the polls? And I'm like, um, all the down ballot races for one. Um, <laughs> but also how do we know Nebraska is going to go red if you don't go out and vote? Like, honestly, mm -hmm. our electoral votes are split. It's not winner take all here. How do we know that Nebraska one is going to go red? It did this time. The shift was massive though, <laughs> over the mm -hmm. past four years. Omaha, uh, not just Omaha, but CD2, Nebraska 2 went blue. All and it, it mattered. Like mm -hmm. people, people were watching Nebraska because mm -hmm. the electoral votes mattered every single mm -hmm. one. Yep, absolutely. So you've talked a lot about incentive structures. Mm -hmm. And I just want to kind of circle back to that. I think it is ridiculous to expect anybody to act against their own self-interest. Mm-hmm. But politicians in particular, like a lot of them have always wanted to do this or fought really hard to get here and they definitely don't want to serve only two terms. So they're going to do whatever they have to, especially when you hear from leadership that dialing for dollars is a requirement of the position. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes the easiest way to get money is to play to the base, as you guys have established. So. Let's dive a little bit deeper into how ranked choice voting alters the incentive structure. I think I mentioned it earlier when we talked about dark money, because yeah. uh, when you're, let's say you're on top, you're the number one person and some dark money attack is hitting number two, you would hope the press would jump in and ask you how you feel about those dark money uh, ads. And then if mm -hmm. we're fortunate enough to get an open primary system as opposed to a closed primary system, and that, that same battle is going on in a lot of states, uh, Alaska got their open primaries. But if you become an open primary system, then it becomes difficult for the dark money people because they don't know who to attack. You know, if uh, in Nebraska, mm -hmm. if we've got three Republicans who appear to be one, two, three in the way the polling is, uh, and you start going after one or two of them with dark money, you may be pushing that number four Democrat up into a position that, uh, you know, is going to get them in a position to win. So it, it's kind of a backdoor method of attacking dark money, which I, you know, HR1 has got dark money uh, controls in it, but that's that's kind of a, a way to kind of take the uh, the payoff away from the people that, that finance those situations. Mm-hmm. Well, and also not just big donors, but a lot of campaigns have been more recently financed by, you know, small dollar donations. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't necessarily have data in front of me. This is a feeling I'm getting. So fact check me. I, I, I approve of fact checking, but it feels okay. like the way that people get most of their small dollar donations are by pissing people off and saying they're coming for you. They hate you. You know, they're mm-hmm. trying to do X, Y, and Z. Who was it in quarter in the first quarter? I think it was MTG who raised the most money. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, her fundraising went through the roof when you yeah. know she was on TV every day. When she yes. So when so to me that doesn't really bode well for humanity. <laughs> Humanity in in general, yes, but it, it to me it doesn't really bode well for us stepping back from this rage economy. To me, it seems like political fundraising is just another aspect of this kind of grievance based. Everybody hates you, and so you should really stick it to them. You know, we don't want a politician who does the work. We want a politician who fights um, that type of you know rhetoric and economy, which. If you'll allow it, I've got a fun poll to cite that, that refutes that mentality completely. I, oh, I saw please. this poll and I was just like, even so I go on a lot of walks with a lot of friends and usually I like dial my politics back to like a two because not everybody nerds out as much as I do about this kind of stuff. Ah, uh, yes. The life of a political nerd can be a lonely one, but that's what podcasts are for, right? Okay. So sorry. You get the poll. And you tell your walking friends, and then what happens? I was like, can you believe it? They're like, I mean, I guess it sounds about right. I'm like, no, this is brand new. Okay, so Georgetown University did a battleground poll. And I think the poll dates were sometime fairly recently, like late May. And in the normal existence of our country, the number one issue for voters has always been the economy. Sure. Usually somewhere behind is going to be things like safety or voting rights or immigration. But for the first time, the number one issue for voters from both parties was actually civility and worries about um, polarization and worries about politicians only trying to get reelected and not really focusing on policy at all. So. If you'll allow me, I got to read you something. Oh, please, by all means. Okay. Despite the deep polarization right now, there continue to be strong signs that most voters would embrace a class of politicians committed to increasing political civility. Division in the country is selected, is the issue selected most frequently as the top two issue of concern to voters. In a simulated debate, 69% of voters prefer a politician who is willing to work work together to get things done, even if it means compromising on my values some of the time, versus just 27% who prefer a politician who consistently fights for my values, even if this means not finding a solution very often. Cable news and social media may heap attention on the loudest and most divisive of the political class, but this data shows that voters are hungry for solution-oriented, deal-making politicians. We can make improvements through gains, and I'll tell you who this is talking to, by the way, at the end. We can make improvements through gains with voters sympathetic to the conservative cause, I think that kind of gave it away, (laughs) who drifted away over the past few tumultuous years. A party that can demonstrate it cares about solutions and is committed to improving the financial lives of voters is one that should expect its ranks to grow. Indeed, this interest from voters for solutions is closely aligned with their desire for increased civility. Voters are troubled by the division in the country and given a choice. Voters prefer a solutions-oriented politician over an ideologically pure one. They expect political division to decrease over the next year. These voter attitudes present an opportunity for politicians to embrace and increase civility. This would not be a grandstanding effort to demonstrate superiority of motive over political opponents, but rather a prudent political strategy that will provide voters with two things they so clearly want, solutions and unity. And as you might guess, that was the Republican analysis what? for the Georgetown University poll. Yeah, so that was where 
they had two of the pollsters get in and say, this is what these poll results mean for your candidates and how you should be running your upcoming midterm. That's actually going to be really interesting to watch and kind of, you know, like see what result this type of polling will have. Yeah. I mean, I, I read this poll and I'm like, my God, they better get this message to the House Republicans stat because they are blowing it. Like if 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 their own polls are showing that seven out of 10 voters are not really into this ideological purity, you know, anti-critical race theory, they're they're coming for your Dr. Seuss bullshit like if that's not what voters are responding to is what this poll shows. And they're, they're trying to tell the Republicans they told the same exact thing to Democrats. I would buy some stamps and just mail it, mail it to them directly. Yeah. Just mail it out. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I I, I don't remember the year, but uh, they, they called it the, uh, the autopsy or the, the, you Mm -hmm. know, the, the fact check on, uh, I think it was right after the, um, after Romney, Romney lost and said, what do we have to do? So Mm -hmm. I I hate to sound negative, but it's pretty much what you just said. And Mm -hmm. they didn't do it. And they didn't do it. (laughs) And they still succeeded. Did Uh, they don't? Is this what success looks like, Wes? (laughs) Well, uh, people with R's in front of their names ended up in in control. So Mm. uh, I think they would define it as success. And so Mm. what's happening is that's where ranked choice voting comes in. That would be a way Mm -hmm. to to mitigate that to some degree. I think that that's Mm -hmm. a really good thing that you just hit on is that they would define it as success because I think that the point that you've both outlined is we need to change the definition of success because I think if you look at the Republican Party right now, what I see is like the death rattle that happens right before you die. It's like it is a power Mm -hmm. grab because they're losing so many people and it's like the they can't win the middle, so they can only radicalize the base. And that makes me really sad because a lot of the people that listen to this show are people on the center right that can't bring themselves to support Democrats or get with the Democratic Party, but they are not represented by the Republican Party either. And mm-hmm. I mean, I really feel for those people. I really, really do. Um, but I think that like nobody right now is looking at the Republican Party and thinking it's the picture of health. I think like even staunch conservatives that look at it, that you can't be like, oh, yeah, this is top tier. This is Reagan era success for our party. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if ranked choice voting can change what success looks like, how you do define it, then they can act in their own self-interest, but also in the interest of democracy. Is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. And if you look at the big bills that, that are pending right now, infrastructure should be a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump talked about it for his whole presidency off and on saying, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. They never did it. Uh, now we have the infrastructure bill out there and it's addressing a lot of things that a lot of people needed done. And you still see roadblocks being thrown up. We're gonna. It looks like we're gonna see some success, but it's like McConnell stating, you know, our biggest goal is to make sure Obama is a one-term president. The failure of the other side becomes more important than the service to the people you represent. Mm-hmm. When you look at for the People Act, the individual portions of that have been polled. All of them poll over, I think, 65, 60 percent for sure. And a lot of the, the things within it poll way over 70 percent. So if you took the for the People Act apart and you just went out and asked people, would you like, uh, you know, uh, gerrymandering to be limited? Would you like dark money to be uh, less of a factor in politics? Would you like uh, early voting? Would, would you like uh, uh, same day registration? All those things pull very highly. You put them all together and a lot of the Republicans call it the biggest power grab in you know history and that kind of dun, thing. Dun, it's, dun. it's like, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not, re- <laughs> you're not representing the majority of the people who have a majority opinion about something that's pretty benign. It's not like this is racist or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty simple things that, that reach down into the heart of what is supposed to be democracy and people mm-hmm. support it. And and you, you got to have a, a free for all to, to get it voted on. It, it just, that drives me insane. It, it just, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I really hope that, Things like ranked choice voting can bring the focus back from 
personality to actual people with policies. Um, Crazy. I don't, I don't want to hate on people too much, but there are some <clears throat> politicians who don't really propose any legislation and are just always on camera. You can yeah. talk about Matt Gates. That's comfortable. I'm, I'm fine <laughs> taking shots at oh, Matt I Gaetz. I, I thought I revealed the person I was uh, talking about there by calling her always oh, on camera. Okay. That is such a clever AOC burn. I'm sorry. I know that by addressing it, I'm probably making it less clever, but, it, but it's so solid. Okay. And this might just be personal preference, but if you look at someone like Lauren Underwood, she's a, a freshman congresswoman who's just freaking killing okay. it. Okay. She's doing so much work and people are like, who? I'm like, you know, I'm like, who? <laughs> Lauren Underwood. <laughs> she's great. But the, the people who are actually doing the job that they're elected to accomplish aren't the ones who are all over Fox News or MSNBC because they're too busy doing their jobs. And I, you know, you guys were talking about conservative voters and how you got a feel for them. And I do like, I feel like now I better understand what conservatism means for conservatives. Now that the party that used to be the party of conservatism has said that they don't have a policy platform anymore. They used to be known as the, the party of ideas right? They had very clear things that they stand for. And those have just been like chipped away one by one. And that must be just, just maddening. So I, I do think that, you know, if you are a politician who is trying to run a campaign and all you have is they suck and I'm going to fight for you, that's not going to, that's not going to get you across the finish line, except in very, you know, very, partisan districts, it might work, but it'll probably stop working. I mean, if seven out of 10 voters are like, can we knock it off? Is that something we can, can we do the job of governing? Myself so Damn. excited by the adult in the room, like uh -huh. Susan Collins. Uh -huh. I, I've been kind of yeah. like meh about her, but lately I'm just like, my girl Susan is just getting in there and getting into the boring shit. And I'm just like, Oh, yes, Susan, pass those laws. The boring shit. Love it. Yeah, like the bipartisan <laughs> index. I'm like all over that now. And I'm just like, who's effective? They're mm -hmm. my favorite. Who's doing the things? It's crazy to think that the people in government are not interested in the continuation of government so often. Mm -hmm. But I think that what's mm -hmm. interesting about ranked choice voting based on what you just said is like, if we have... Like, let's say it's in a primary. We're trying to pick a Republican candidate, right? And if we have six people and all six are like, they suck and I'm going to fight for you, that's great. Um, but to differentiate yourself, I mean, it's terrible. But to differentiate yourself, you're going to yeah, have yeah, yeah. to get into it on more issues. And that part mm -hmm. of it actually excites me, especially because... Mm -hmm. I think that you see on both sides, like Democrats are so guilty of this and it made the it made the primary debates difficult to watch at first is it's like, oh, yes, we agree on everything. Yes, we are mm. all pro-choice. <laughs> we are all mm -hmm. the least racist people you have ever met. We are all mm -hmm. pro-immigration. We all share the same set of very partisan ideas. And in actuality, it's like the culture war issues are not the problems that need solving. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. in a, in a ranked choice primary, I'm excited by the fact that we, that like both parties, they all agree on those issues. Cool. It's squared away. We don't have to talk about it. What's going to differentiate mm -hmm. you. It's either going to be your temperament or where you stand on mm -hmm. broader issues or different issues. Mm -hmm. Or how willing you are to actually find solution to issues as, a, as opposed to just highlighting them and using them to make everybody mad all oh the time, God. make a buck doing yes. it. So many people are just like, I have found a problem. The problem is everyone <laughs> but know. me. The solution, don't know it. Don't know it. <laughs> don't know it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although they all yeah. campaign on changing the system. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go to Washington. I'm going to turn it upside down. Wes, are you saying that they can't actually drain the swamp? <laughs> yeah. Well, among, <laughs> other, among other things. Uh, yeah, that's they, that's probably one of the least effective um, selling points for a person who teaches the French Revolution. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're going to get rid of the system. 
cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and then what? What are you going to chop off everybody's head if they don't agree with you? Literally, I need to know what next. Like, I, that to me, when everybody is like, revolution, I'm like, have you seen how that turns out if you don't have a proposal for what comes next? It's not pretty because the revolutionaries always eat their own, <laughs> sometimes literally. <laughs> it's kind of a problem. Sometimes Google pictures of Afghanistan in the 60s and 70s. You know, it's very nice. I mean, it's modern buildings and the women are mm -hmm. running around without headgear on. They look like Western uh, business women. Like um, Iraq in the 20s. It's all kinds of. It, well, yeah. yeah, and maybe even Iraq clear into the into the 60s or 70s. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the Shah, the Shah was a bad mm -hmm. thing. But uh, uh, in both of those instances, it was kind of the radical religious that took over and then everybody that was kind of more moderate by those standards had to go underground, you know, you, mm -hmm. you had to pretend you were part of that, uh, whatever ilk. And, uh, that me too, me too. I, uh, was listening to, I think it was, a. Oh, who was it? It was Ezra Klein being interviewed. I think it was on that trippy show, which is another damn political podcast. I need to <laughs> broaden my Don't horizons. Um, but he had identified not just like the left to right mm -hmm. spectrum, um, but also the interested and disinterested spectrum uh, and, and how, you know, that's kind of the more scary to me, that's kind of the more scary um, thought is that with all of the different channels that we have, with all of the different streaming services that we have, like gone are the days where everyone, if they wanted any kind of entertainment, at least had to see some kind of political yeah. news more often than every four years. Because now if you don't want to hear about politics, don't yeah. listen. You just watch your basketball. Just, you know, watch The Office. It'll be fine. Like you don't actually, there's nothing forcing you basically to have any idea of what the conversation is. And then you come around every four years and you're like, which direction am I the most angry? Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's not great. That's not well, great. And uh, I mean, speaking of Ezra Klein, like in his book, he talks a lot about the media and about how it's like when you're fighting for attention is when you get mm -hmm. more clickbaity. Obviously we know that, but I thought that what was interesting is the, interest versus disinterest groups the most interested people mm -hmm. are the ones that make the most excuses to justify their own position and that mm -hmm. scares me a great deal but i think that that's how you mm -hmm. get the extremes on the left and right because i think that moderates in general tend to be less politically active which bums me out but i yeah. mean thus you start a moderate podcast but um i think that they <laughs> tend to be less engaged because they are less politically motivated and they're out working. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they get involved, they get yelled at from everybody. Everybody. <laughs> like, let's just say a quiet prayer for the moderates in Congress <laughs> or like or the swing state moderates that are the enemy of both parties. Oh, mm -hmm. but hopefully with ranked choice voting, they will be in better shape. Yes. Yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind there'll be more moderates if ranked choice mm -hmm. voting uh, is more universally adopted. There's no way there can't How be. Come? It, it'll, yeah. it has to. It has to happen. But <clears throat> because the, that that you know the 15 or 20 percent that are voting for the far right or the far left are going to be mitigated by that other 30 or 40 percent, and it's at least going to drag us a notch one way or the other. You know, if uh, if it's uh, a zero is your most far right, it may turn it up to a one or a two. And if a eight is your most uh, or a ten is your most uh, far left, it's going to turn it down to a seven or an eight. You know, so we'll be working more from the middle. And I don't know if you've seen the charts over the years, but they uh, they do have charts that go back, I think, into the fifties, where they show the number of people that are considered moderate in the Senate and in Congress, mm -hmm. and that number is just really, really dwindled uh, with the way things are right now. So, uh, I think I think that would also get us back to that position. It would make America great again. Why don't we see that effect happening in a general election already? Like, why aren't moderates mitigating the impact of the extremes in a general? Uh, because I. Because I think they, uh, 
I think the, the people on the left or the people on the right have picked the most extreme people and they want to set it out. Gotcha. You know, that, per, that person's too liberal for mm-hmm. me and the other person's too uh, conservative for me. I don't know who to vote for. You know, they, instead of the picking the lesser of two evils, they feel like they're both evil. And it's, it's like they'll take a pass. Mm. That's, that's what I think happens. You know, how many times mm-hmm. have you seen the interviews where they say, man, I don't like either one of them? Mm-hmm. Usually, usually followed by something incredibly stupid that shows they haven't been paying attention for four years. <laughs> one <laughs> problem at a time. Anyway. Well, also, yeah. And yeah. also every time I hear somebody say, well, I don't like either one of them. And then they'll say, my first choice was X. My second choice was Y. Like people literally rank candidates in hindsight every damn time. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess... Uh, I guess Joe Biden was like my fourth choice. And I'm like, okay, so we all understand ranked choice voting then. That's cool. That is a perfect clapback because I was, so in preparation for this, I was kind of talking to, I mean, talking to my own circle and then just trying to Google criticisms of ranked choice voting, which by the way, are difficult to find. It is widely popular. But one of them was that it confuses people or that the ballot being confusing, it would suppress uh, turnout because people would be like, I don't know what the hell. So tell me why that's wrong. Well, there was a guy, a PhD candidate from MIT who looked at, I think, Maine RCV elections, uh, which is an extremely small sample size. And RCV has only been used in Maine. I think this was the first presidential cycle and maybe like the second congressional cycle. So very small sample size. Um, And he didn't look at any of the other places that RCV is used. When New York just used RCV, they actually today just came out with um, some exit polling. Well, not exit polling, I guess it's exit surveying is technically the term. Um, But it turns out 75% of New York voters wanted to use ranked choice voting again. 83% ranked more than one candidate and said the ballot was simple to fill out. So this is a poll from Common Cause New York and Rank the Vote New York. That just came out today. And I I saw something, I think, from the Times, and I'm not absolutely sure about that, but it was like uh, when asked 70 to 80 percent of the people in New York were positive about it coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's the best turnout they've had for a couple of decades. So I was on pins and needles because I was like, Lord in heaven, I'm going on moderate pod like very soon. And the one thing that everybody was kind of on pins and needles about was, is this, is this really going to affect turnout? Like that kid in Boston's, I don't mean that kid. I'm sorry, sir. If you're listening, I don't mean you're a kid. The PhD candidate in Boston, um, was saying, you know, this is going to lower turnout. And I was like, please don't let it be true. Please don't let it be true. It absolutely was not true. Not even, not even a, a hair's worth of truth to that. And it turns out people in New York actually liked it. And lo and behold, of course, the, the tallies aren't all the way in yet. Uh, the moderate kind of beat out the progressive in New York City. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about where, like when voters are actually able to express their preferences, like we might get some surprising results. Rank and smash. I think so, too. <laughs> I think so, too. There is some negativity out there, though, that I'm hoping we work our way through because I've seen a lot of uh, pundits, you know, on the national uh, mm-hmm. news that are saying this is ridiculous. It's taken us a month to get an answer. And, mm-hmm. and I hope people don't focus on that. Uh, we've got uh, I think it's called ESS here based out of Nebraska that has, I think, over 50 percent of the election machinery out there. And I've actually talked to them and they're all set up for ranked choice voting. So if mm-hmm. this goes national or, you know, in Maine, that we didn't have this issue. They got they got to the mm-hmm. answers quickly. So I do yep. want people that are seeing this stuff on the national news or hearing all the whining about, wow, this should not take this long. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing concession speeches 30 days after an election. Uh, it's going to be longer. And anything that's good probably should take a little longer to do. 
uh, but it's not going to be that long. And, uh, you know, we're going to have paper, I hope, on all of this, so it can be mm -hmm. checked, but it'll also be computerized. So I think we'll be able to do the turnaround in a couple of days or a week or two and not two months, like it appears is going on in New York. So please don't let not being able to do the process perfectly when you start doing it be the reason not to do it, you know? And also, I'm sorry, but New York is going to New York. New York has always taken forever to have their ballots counted. The San Francisco has been doing this forever. Minneapolis has been doing this forever. There are tons of cities all over the country that have been doing it forever. And I'm sorry, but zero peeps have I heard where everybody's like, what's taking so long for the results to get out of Minneapolis? It just doesn't happen. <laughs> New York <laughs> is slow as hell. Well, and also like nothing is happening until they take office, really. Like, that's what I don't understand is it's like we needed results because we want to know them. That I do get. Like, I, I am guilty of frequently hitting the refresh button. I make a, I have a whole election tracking whiteboard set up, but it's like, it's just because we're anxious, but it's like literally, if we know the day after election day or if we know at the end of November, they're still taking office no. in January. <laughs> they are. And I mean, I think it's also it's like when you when there's a real a real risk that more candidates are going to be contesting mm -hmm. election results, you want them mm -hmm. to take their time <laughs> counting them. Um, I hadn't heard that that people were frustrated about it taking more time. I knew that that was a concern before the election. But I mean, every everything that I've heard coming out of New York is mm -hmm. that it was a hit. And I Me was too. nervous and it's just because it's never been put to the test in a population mm -hmm. that large. Do you think it's going to take off from here? I hope so. I, I, I'm pretty sure it will. I, I, yeah. I'm yeah. very positive. I would just like it to take off where we are. You know, that's why we're working on it. Yeah. There's people all around <laughs> the country working on it. And I think it's an mm -hmm. idea whose time has come. It will be here. It's just a matter of if you can tell your kids we were the idiot state that, uh, you know, was the 48th one to do it. Or are we going to be the, the, the with it state that was the fifth one to do it or the sixth or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, how many states have it right now? Just Maine and Alaska for on the on the larger scale, but there's uh, over 27 jurisdictions. Last I knew, um, is it Utah or Nevada? One of those two states has it all yeah. over. Utah, yeah, all over in their municipalities. Uh, mm -hmm. Some states are passing bills that say uh, uh, you're you're free to use ranked choice of vote, voting at the local level or at a, at a, mm -hmm. a lower level, we're not gonna do it yet at the, at the, at the state office level. So uh, those things are going well. Well, heck, California does it, you know, with, with the various mm -hmm. cities in California. I don't mean that as a negative, I see you making a face, but. Uh, <laughs> we're just a goddamn mess, but, that's all. <laughs> it's happening. We're doing our best. <laughs> you know, if it's an infection, it's spreading. So prob probably yeah. a bad analysis, but. <laughs> Don't don't use that one. How about not? And well, and I'm just excited that a lot more Republicans are talking about it. The GOP in Virginia yes. used uh, ranked choice voting to select to select their candidate for governor uh, this year. And it was down to what is his name? Youngkin or something like that. It's going up against McAuliffe, but the I think it's Youngkin. But it most people were thinking that this other woman who was uh, called Trump in heels was going to get the nomination. And from within the own part with their own party, they kind of at least skimmed off that type of extremism from the Virginia GOP. Um, Utah, like we were just Woo. saying is uh, I feel fairly Republican as far as States go. And, and there they just, you know, allowed everybody in their own cities to decide whether or not to use ranked choice voting. And it sounds like quite a few are. Um, and I, I know that the, the Trump family was actually trying to pressure state legislators in Wyoming to adopt ranked choice voting because they wanted to get rid of Liz Cheney. Uh, didn't work, um, but the Trumps have officially <laughs> endorsed RCV, which huh. is interesting, an interesting choice. Um, but yeah, I'm in some of the more conservative podcasts I listen to, like they've been talking about it on uh, the dispatch. on the dispatch. Um, beg to differ. 
a little bit on the bulwark, but I'm, I'm a little, I gotta, I gotta be honest, like for the, you know, intellectual conservatives, they tout themselves to be, I'm a little bummed that they haven't actually had an RCV person come on to answer any of their questions because some of the things that they said that they don't like about it. I'm like, but that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm like, guys, <laughs> but you're there are plenty of people who know plenty of stuff about RCV. And I feel like as podcasters, you ask people questions when you don't know the answers, instead of saying, I don't know the answer. And therefore it's probably not great. So it's at least out there in the ether being talked about um, kind of across the political spectrum, which to me shouldn't just be Democrats and Republicans. Like I want people's ideas to actually get a hearing <laughs> and not be told, Hey, get out of here. You know, we can't let that other person win. I think, I think people in third parties deserve to be heard and, and deserve to see how many people will actually rank them first. Cause we don't, that's again, that's information we have no way of getting until we have something like ranked choice voting. Especially when dissatisfaction with the two parties and support for a third party is at mm -hmm. an all-time high. Mm -hmm. it, like, I get frustrated with some of the stuff that it's like, the American people are screaming for it. Why can't we mobilize mm -hmm. on it? Turns out we can. Um, do, you think it make <laughs> oh, yeah. do you think it makes a ballot more confusing when local elections are ranked choice and then every like state and federal are not? I wouldn't think so. Not if that's the type of ballot people are already used to. I would think if, okay. you know, they know how to rank one through five over here and then they're like, OK, and it says vote for one like they're used to, then I wouldn't think so. But okay. maybe I'm such a ballot nerd. <laughs> It'll be easy for people who can read. Hey, hey, come now. Shots fired it, by Wes. It, it probably does take <laughs> explaining. And for me personally, one of the things that got me so worked up in New York was I really was afraid that they hadn't put enough effort into voter education before implementing RCV. So that was something where I was like, don't blow this for us, you guys. <laughs> but I do think that any state or municipality that is going to implement ranked choice voting, the main thing, I mean, that's what Rank the Vote Nebraska is all about doing right now is not necessarily passing legislation, although we would love to. It's making sure voters know what is ranked choice voting? What does a ballot look like? How does it work? What are the benefits? How does it change the incentive structure? All that kind of stuff. So with Rank the Vote Nebraska, like that's something that's an organization that you guys are a part of to try to establish ranked choice voting in Nebraska. Is that the step that people need to take to get ranked choice voting in their state? That's one possible step. You can also talk to your city councils. Uh, it, it depends on the city that you live in. I think some cities have, you know, specific charters that say we get to decide how we run our elections and some some places you know it, it is statewide and actually it would depend on the state it's kind of the federalist concept of you know, the larger governmental body gets to delegate to the lower governmental body what they choose to delegate to them so it would be a state-by-state -state thing and uh, if you'd want to get active in it you'd i think there's uh ranked choice voting organizations in almost every state. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I ultimately think in Nebraska, if the change comes, that'd be an interesting thing to get a, a line on if you were going to bet it. But uh, I think we'll probably get ours from a ballot initiative more, more so than from a, uh, uh, from more so than a law passing, because I think the uh, people in power right now, are in power and they feel like they can continue to be in power under the system they got in under. So I think it makes them nervous. It's that incentive structure. They're incentivized to keep their base small so that they can just campaign to them. But and unfortunately, I think there's fewer states that have the ballot initiative available to them than there are that do have it available, but I don't know the numbers on that. Mm -hmm. I always feel like we're lucky that we have that option though. Mm -hmm. So Nebraska is our 11th most popular state for listenership. So really? People, yeah, I know. I love it. Love you guys. Um, Go Big Red. <laughs> <woo>. <laughs> um, so if people from Nebraska are listening, what can they do to get involved with ranked choice voting in their great home state? 
I anticipated this question. Erica, are you proud of me? I am. I'm so pleased. Uh, Visit us at rankthevotenebraska.com or look us up at Rank the Vote Nebraska on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rank the Vote NE. Yeah, that that would be the good ones. I'm also involved with a group called Represent Us, and you could take a peek at us at, at Represent underscore Omaha, if you want. I try to retweet some of the stuff and re reshare the stuff that are we're working on. We're also on, we're also technically on Reddit and Instagram as well. Um, and I don't know how quickly you, pr- you um, do your production stuff, but this Thursday is our uh, monthly statewide action meeting. It's still on zoom, which kind of sucks, but you know, we're doing what we can. So the first Thursday of every month, if you go to any of our social media, you'll see the announcements, but the, the meetings are eh, about an hour or so. And we just we and, do a rank it. We have a speaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, do we have a speaker then, this uh, month set up? Uh, I'll find out tonight. Okay. We're having a meeting to determine that. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, no matter when yeah, you're every- listening, they probably at some point will have a speaker. So. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. it's we we have never had one without one, and if not, we probably will throw one of us in and pretend we're a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, my final question, guys: Is there a question I should have asked you and I didn't? Um, one article that if people are so inclined that I would send people to, did I not open it? Son of a bee sting. If you Google, um, rank choice voting women and people of color, there's a wonderful study that was the, the first iteration was done in 2016 and they just did a second iteration, um, from the group called represent women. And it talks about, um, the ways that ranked choice voting gets more women, more people of color involved in, in campaigns and gets more of them slash us to win. More, more voices, more choices. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for bearing with me through a multitude of technical issues. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for today's episode, guys. But I encourage you to check out Wes and Erica's podcast, The Good Life, if you can keep it. It's on Spotify. It'll be linked in the show notes. A final note about the election in New York City If you don't live in New York City, that primary race may not be that interesting to you. But we just got the results back and it looks like ranked choice voting helped a moderate win the Democratic primary in New York freaking city, guys. So if you believe we need more moderates in government, please, please, please do everything that you can to implement ranked choice voting in your area. Wes and Erica showed you how to take the first steps, but there are a lot of different ways to get there. Just don't sit this one out. Get on Google. Find the way that works best for you and do it. As always, if you like the show, please don't forget to give us a five-star review, like, subscribe, or, you know, just tell your friends about it. Tell people you know about it. If we're trying to increase moderates in this country, you know, we got to put our back into it. Moderates got to stick together. As always, if you have any questions about today's episode, you can shoot me an email at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. And that's it. But uh, stay tuned to our feed because we have some pretty exciting announcements coming up in the next couple of days. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All right, guys. Stay safe.